Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Pekko Stoyanov. Pekko, we're in person today. We're in person today. We haven't been in person since, what, it feels like a year? Ever? Ever? (laughs) But, you know, we're we're live at RSA, you know. If if you didn't hear that in the background, we just had some ambulances drive by. But... (laughs) It's, it's actually great being in person and we're, we're, we can connect, have real conversations. There's so much innovation ideas that we're seeing. If you haven't had a chance to go into RSA floor and see what's going on, there's, there's some interesting trends. Absolutely. You know, I'm excited for what's going on. And, you know, we tend to think locally here at RSA, but yet you see lots of global companies. You start seeing also, today we've got a guest that's got to make it global, right? Exactly. Yes. And we... Otherwise, never have this guest. So I am so excited to welcome to the podcast, Johanny. He is the president and CEO of WithSecure. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So you've been having a great show. You've been talking to me. Finland's got a lot going on right now. I mean, how's your RSA been going so far? It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. This is certainly a boss. And, uh, I've, you know, I can compare it to last year. We're still reeling from COVID a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think this is, uh, again, better. And I think there's more people on I think people are generally happy to see each other. Exactly. Yeah, it, it almost feels like the RSA is a bubble, right? When you come and sure. see your friends yeah. that you didn't see until you know the year before. So it's it's nice to kind of get that old feeling back finally. It's funny. There's a lot of things on the RSA floor I saw in terms of not just AI or ChatGTP, but mm-hmm. some were talking about some of the things happening with Russia and how what that means and yes. at least in terms of advanced threats and how we can connect the digital to the the kinetic and That storytelling, you can kind of see a little bit on the floor. There's a a little pop, almost a, how do we get better from a threat standpoint, but at the same time, how do we make it more efficient and outcome-based? Exactly. You know, but I'd love to, I mean, recently, we had some recent news, didn't we, Rachel? Mm -hmm. Um, That happened around Finland, and you want to tell? Well, go ahead. You're, you know, you you, you tee it up, but I'm excited. April 4th, we had a big event. Yes. So, you know, NATO ended up getting some new members. Yes. It was it was Finland and Sweden. Right. Sweden is pending. Sweden is pending. Okay. Following. Yes. I, 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 there was a joint application, but there was definitely. A joint application, right? So back in yeah. last, last well, year. Well, there was some joint yeah. intent of joining at the same time. Okay. And both countries had their independent applications. There's a lot of history here too. I mean, I think there's a, probably a lot of people who don't aren't as steeped, right? Or like my geographic knowledge, they're not as steeped in kind of the the history of what got you up to this point. I mean, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little sure. more backstory on that. Yeah. So of course we're the country between Sweden and Russia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were historically we were part of Sweden until 1989. Okay. And we were part of Eastern Russia until 1917. The Finland independence since from that point on, mm-hmm. 1917. And, and I think as, as far as Finland goes, we'd be very good at actually taking advantage of big upheavals and changes in Russia. Mm-hmm. So Finland became independent as, you know, as a byproduct of the Russian Revolution in 1917. Mm-hmm. 
Finland became a member of the European community as kind of a, we saw the opportunity uh, with the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1992. Mm -hmm. So Finland became a member uh, uh, in 1995, I think we submitted our application in 1992. And now, Finland became a member of NATO, uh, um, you know, after um, Russia's invasion of the war in uh, Ukraine. Yeah, so it's a uh, 31st member state to NATO, yes? That's, right. That's fantastic. So, I mean, it's, we've talked a lot about the Ukraine conflict on this podcast, but it, I think we haven't really looked at it from the lens of Finland, but particularly the geographic yeah. proximity. Um, I think you, your president was talking a little bit about that too when you joined NATO. But um, Pekka, you found... It's funny, I've been to to Finland actually. Yes. I ended up... Uh, well, we have office there, have right? Office you there. visited our... I visited Helsinki. We've got a couple hundred people there working. And it's an interesting mix. You've got you know the Swedish language and you've got a lot of Russians that are working there. You don't... You don't appreciate how close you are to Russia right. until you're there. And, you know, we're in San Francisco, but like St. Petersburg, just for context here, is almost like being L.A. Right. Like that's how close they are to Russia. That's crazy. I had yeah. no idea. Uh, I had no idea there were so many Russians. <laughs> <laughs> I think I... <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know how you top that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Shut it down. Shut it down. But it, I mean, it, but it does give a little bit more kind of a charge, right? I mean, because there there have been you know commentary. I think from um, who was it from the Kremlin? It was Dmitry Peskov, I believe. Um, you know, just kind of noting, right, the NATO's enlargement and you know, kind of the the Russian perspective of, of said action. Yeah, I mean, for a long time in Finland, we were talking about the NATO option, mm -hmm. which for us basically meant that we can apply if we choose to. And now what happened, uh, this was uh, a couple of months before Russia's attack on Ukraine, the Russian president kind of said that um, they don't look favorably to NATO expanding mm -hmm. in their neighborhood. Right. And that, I think, for the first time, was a kind of a clear change in rhetoric. So before that, uh, it had always been like, okay, Finland makes its own decisions, and that's, that was the party line in Russia. Right. But from that moment onwards, it was clear for everybody in Finland that, that things have changed. And uh, that led into a very rapid process where almost overnight the, uh, the, the opinion, the public opinion changed. I mean, people were not thinking that we would be joining NATO anytime soon. Right. They were not thinking of uh, using that option, as we called it. And, and all of a sudden, we just had to move really, really quickly. And I would say that actually what happened was that was more like almost the public leading politicians mm -hmm. than the other way around. Even though I have to say that both the president, the parliament, the prime minister, they all did a really good job in terms of the process itself right. and how it went. And uh, of course, we're very pleased because circumstances have changed, and I think it was important for Finland to become part of NATO and part of the Article 5 and the, and the collective defense. At the same time, I would Hasten to add that actually Finland brings substantial military capabilities to NATO. Right. We have uh, one of the largest armies, we have most good armies in Finland. We can uh, rally up to uh, 900,000 reserve, uh, reservists in Finland out of 5.5 million people. We have the biggest artillery in Europe. And uh, I think we've learned a lot about going to war against Russia. Mm -hmm. you know? that's, that's impressive. I mean, you, you don't realize the amount of capabilities you have to our, our neighbors of north right there 
we're always focused on the big countries and how they're helping. But I, I, I think I read that that, that uh, Finland was actually already involved with some of the Ukraine part of it. Have you guys contributed to Ukraine? And yeah, so Finland uh, has contributed. I think monetarily it's about a billion. Uh, Current estimate of, of worth of uh, equipment that uh, we've been uh, shipping over there. And uh, of course, Finland is very vocal and very pro Ukrainian. And, and frankly, uh, many of us really feel strongly that Ukraine is fighting for freedom in Europe, it's fighting for other Europeans. It's not just an isolated conflict where Russia attacks its neighbor. I think it's actually almost a collective attack on Europe. Geographically, of course, Ukraine is already there. And politically, of course, they are not members of the EU or more of a member of NATO from a military alliance perspective, but I think they have indicated that that's not surprisingly in, in joining both of these organizations or communities. Absolutely. It makes sense. Um, and so you're here at RSA talking a little bit about, about what's going on. And, and I, uh, I was looking at this part of your presentation, and one of the things that you had mentioned about you know, Finland having a key role in digital defense yeah. uh, and being able to bring that to the table as part of NATO membership. Yeah, so we have actually a good history in terms of bringing out digital um, solutions to different kinds of problems. And I think the biggest manufacturing historically probably Nokia dominating the handset and then kind of re-emerging as, as one of the two dominant players in the infrastructure. And uh, of course, there's also a third vendor from China. What we've seen happen in years is that they've actually So, for many countries, it's either Nokia or or including the US. Now, alongside Nokia, of course, we had, after the success of Nokia, there's been a strong undergrowth of companies that have kind of uh, Evolved. It, was, it was almost like a business school and a training ground for many people. And also in the recession, if you like, I think uh, many of these people who were um, kind of laid off actually kind of became entrepreneurs and then um, On top of that, of course, we've uh, invested in cybersecurity. There are a number of uh, companies that have been in business for a long time. I mean, my company, which has you know, its roots with AppSecure and as of last year we have a secure consumers with secure provisions. Uh, we go back over 30 years and we, we are the one of the original kind of founders of the first mobile virus. And of course, being independent and having strong heritage mobile, we're not sure if we're actually working on cyber security problems. That's, that's fantastic and so relevant today. I mean, we can't even talk about all the money. Every time I get a text, it's just like TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. We won't talk about that. For those of you on the podcast, there's a running joke with Rachel and her TikTok and cats. Oh, you are? I can. It's genius. <laughs> you know, our most famous TikTok star is mm-hmm. our soon-to-be former prime minister. I don't know if you followed her. <laughs> no. Santa Marie. No, I mean, I've heard of her. I remember I saw some articles and some coverage. Yes. 
<laughs> See, Rachel, you could be president of the United States too. Well, just there be you a go. Star I just, I'm not. I'm not using this TikTok like I should. I no. just, uh, I'm taking but not giving. Um, you know, so one of my kind of favorite topics, uh, you know, as we look at, you know, particularly the um, the conference in Ukraine, what we saw with the standing up of these like you know, cyber terrorists, if you will, right? You have all of these kind of volunteers that on both sides. You know, on on in terms of cyber attacks, and I, I'm just curious that you know now that you're part of NATO, Finland, are you seeing now an influx of cyber risks and cyber attacks directed towards the country or the region? So yes and no. I mean, there there's been you know there have been some publicized events and some of them clearly politically motivated. Mm-hmm. I think they were against Parliament. The, the web pages were taken down, right. and that was Friday. I think. Forget which, which it was, but in general, I would say we've probably seen a bit less mm-hmm. than maybe we could have expected. I mean, right. just those are busy elsewhere, and, and I, I don't think realistically anybody would think that any kind of uh, cybersecurity attack or, or pressure sure. would have somehow influenced any decision right. to apply for NATO membership. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Russians are realistic enough to understand that, and I think they're long time ago already concluded that. In the NATO camp. Right. I mean, we've been training with NATO forces for many, many years. All the common structures are already aligned. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in, in, in many ways, we were practically almost a NATO member, if right. not political. Right. You, just out of curiosity, I mean, what drove, like, what key factors drove, drove Finland to really join NATO? Um, you saw, the, you mentioned the Population wanted it, but what are the like the real reasons? I think there was a, just a conclusion that the security the situation changed. I mean, um, before that, uh, I think the Russian rhetoric was always like Finland is free to decide whatever is good for Finland. Mm-hmm. Now there was a change. The Russian president said that no, actually, that's not the case. We don't want our neighbors to become NATO members. There was, there was a, a clear change in. Now, I know Russia's said some interesting things when NATO, when Finland joined, but when you joined NATO, like, have you seen the relationship change materially at the local level at, in terms of you're sharing a border? Yeah. So, uh, of course, Finland has a, has a long border. It's uh, 1,340 kilometers. Uh, 800, yeah, so 800 and something miles. Is that a problem? I would say that it's more of a problem. We didn't have a border. Anyway, so we have that border, and, and of course now that border is pretty much shut down. Right. I mean, there is very, very limited traffic, um, you know, because of the sanctions. Right. You know, businesses uh, have stopped doing business. With Russia, which historically, of course, had been one of the big trading partners. Unfortunately, I would say, after the concession uh, in Finland in the uh, mid 90s, we started orienting towards the West and having offerings and products and services that could be more appealing. Actually, USA is Finland's biggest trading partner. Yeah. First time this year. That's very interesting. When I was in in Finland, I saw a lot of locals in Russian. 
did you see any change in like when the Ukraine war started? You see an influx of Russians going to Finland, or stay the same? Or really, no. So first of all, I, I think you know uh, we have a small minority of Russians. Never a dull moment. So actually, our biggest minority is our Swedish friends. So we don't focus on the population of Swedish as the native tongue. And it's I think there's been probably more immigration after the Ukraine war towards other countries and Central China. I think the European government was devoted towards Kazakhstan and other places. And, and uh, there was some legislation also to make it more difficult uh, for people actually to, to immigrate and get into Finland because uh, for natural reasons, I don't think there was a big appetite to. So we see a lot of people who were, for example, fleeing the country because they didn't want to get drafted in Russia. Well, we didn't necessarily want to speak in Finland either for those reasons. But at the same time, I would say that I'm also speaking as someone who has Russian in their payroll. We don't discriminate for us and it's secure there. They're like any other employee and we're very careful to make sure that there is no discrimination of any kind. And that, that is then more of a and you're in, now you're a NATO member. You're an EU member before that. It's still kind of fresh. But do you see relationship changing with other parts, other members of the EU and NATO as part of this membership? I mean, how do you see it evolving, or what do you what do you see NATO evolving into or your role in NATO in the future? Yeah, I think there was uh, a couple of years ago. I think there was before Finland was NATO a NATO member. There was some discussion about the uh, military capabilities of EU. Finland was one of those proponents that, that we should actually kind of uh, activate those kind of discussions. And I think there have actually been some countries who were quite active at the time, France being one of them. But, uh, and, you know, EU has a military staff in a way and small command structure and some rapid deployment forces that they have at their disposal. But I think it's never been like NATO, so I think realistically. It's, it's NATO, and um, of course, we could remember that since the uh, UK left the European Union, UK is still part of NATO. And UK, at the moment, for example, is the biggest contributor of you know, support, material, arms, money, training to, to Ukraine, by far. It's like 10 times bigger than, than the next country. So, in that sense, as a conclusion, I think uh, NATO is important. It's, it is kind of a part of the structure of Europe. And, you know, I, my, one of my favorite questions, I guess favorite probably isn't a good word for it, but um, you know, speaking of NATO and, and also kind of thinking about the UN and you know, invoking Article 5 and all the things, um, it's, it's that idea of cyber war, right? And, and I'd be kind of curious in your perspective here, you know, uh, the UN in particular has struggled to define what does that mean? And, because in defining it right, well, then you have to enforce said yeah. said definition, and so it's kind of um, it's a tough one. Yeah. yeah, and of course there are no borders in the internet, so right. I think you know it's a kind of a tough question also to make an illegal sense. Right. Uh, where do you draw the line, and what can you do when, when you're waging a war in the internet? And I, I think that's a little bit what everybody is kind of thinking. And and of course, if you look at cyber, uh, the approach. Most of the countries have taken has been more defensive than offensive. Right. I mean, certainly there are certain countries that have offensive capabilities as well, but it's kind of easy to justify having 
sensibility so everybody can understand and that's not there but it's a big step into actually starting to deploy offensive Exactly. And what are the parameters? I mean, what are, what are acceptable offensive parameters? Because invariably, you're doing something in another nation state to get caught in the crossfire, right? Yeah, and, but look, I think, you know, speaking as a leader of a cybersecurity consultant, some of them, a lot of product and solutions, and people working in the defense point. I think that sometimes you, you need the offense as well. Right. You need those capabilities to understand how to defend. I mean, in our company, we like to say that our defense is built by hackers. Mm-hmm. Because we have these people who are you know, the premier hackers in the world. Right. They will tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Go ahead. I was just thinking, well, but I went through and got all these certifications. My product said it's secure. <laughs> you know, not that I'm using it securely. That's hilarious. Well, it kind of brings me to like another favorite topic right now. And I'm, I don't know if this is coming up a lot for you, was generative AI. You know, I mean, that's just been the, the kind of du jour. What, what's, what's your perspective on kind of that opportunity, but also the consumer? Yeah. So, look, I mean, as a company, we've invested in machine learning and AI for the past 15 years. So, many of the things that are talked about, I think we've been studying them and working on them and integrating them into our solutions and making more robust and things like that. So, on one hand, of course, some of my solutions somehow, I think, now the need ability using that and almost like the polarization of AI through the user interface that the market and we we're looking at it like everybody else as a source of increased productivity for the company, but also as something which can help us Productive solutions. Yeah, yeah. And then thirdly, I think uh, we look at it in the security landscape. We've seen first attacks now uh, that we've been waiting for. Actually, we were talking about this already with well, years ago that uh, defenders are using AI. When will we actually see the first AI driven attacks? And now that I think we're seeing it. I mean, at least we're judging to be what it is. It's something that used to be very difficult to do. Right. AI, you need a data scientist. Made it almost consumer level. Mm-hmm. You can just talk to a boss, ask a question. Yeah. Well, like Aaron Mulgrew, yeah. right? I mean, he, he spent a few hours on a weekend yeah. and got to uh, create it's a. remarkable, actually, what, zero day, uh, what yeah. it can do. And uh, still kind of a little bit kind of wondering how it can actually do all the things it can do. Right. Because if you think about it, it's a large language model, but it can solve complex mathematical equations. How do you actually, what's the training data you Sometimes. use for that? Sometimes. <laughs> well, there is the answer. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's you need to have critical. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting if you, add, depending on the order of the questions, the prompts, if you say what's one plus one, it, it might have an answer. But then you might have to tell it, hey, go step by step and walk me through your logic. And then it'll correct itself, which is really interesting. interesting. So it, it, it's not a lear- it's not true like learning, but it's, Linking itself back to the previous answer a lot more, you know. And I think there are a lot of questions that are now related to the trained data once it gets broadly deployed. And I think there is also the, um, unfortunately, the opportunity for 
with bad guys that you actually inject some sort of emotions or, or something which will drive you in the wrong direction. So I think it's a whole new game in that sense. We've had customers we've talked to that they're worried about, I mean, you saw Verizon, you saw Amazon, where internal documents were exposed to the, to other custom, to the internet because someone, maybe someone in legal or somewhere just took some document, help me rephrase this, and ask ChatGTP. Next thing you know, it had internal code words that were now exposed to someone else asking questions. Tell me about Amazon. List any secret code words they have or projects, and it, and it provided answers. And that, that you're realizing that it's now consumerized and the product really is not just a product, but you're feeding it more data. So it's learning from you. So you are part of the product. And, and I think people don't realize that is this technology is evolving so quickly that it's just like social media when it first came out. People said, I love this. And then they realized, wait, they're the product. I think this is the same thing with ChatGTP we're seeing. Yeah, but look, I mean, when the internet came, I mean, it's obvious all the benefits that it would bring, but you can also use it for the wrong purposes. I think it's exactly the same thing. Interesting. So, so we're, you're saying we're almost at, like when the internet first came out in the, let's say, early 90s, late 90s, this is almost like where we are now with AI. Exactly. Exactly the moment. Wow. And it's, you're amazed to be seen, right? How creative these attackers are going to be and, yeah. and what we'll see out of that and then how do you respond? Rachel, we started an AI company. Hey. Rachel, you want in? Jared, such an exciting Just put the space. word AI after yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be anyway. What's working out here? Yeah. 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 I mean, should we be scared? I mean, you saw everyone that, you know, signed that open letter and let's take a pause and, you know, a machine's taking over the world. I mean, is that like a true concern, Johanny? Well, I'm probably wrong person to give predictions about that one, but I do think it's, it is a change and it is something new. Yeah. It's the threat landscape. You have never just go wrong. Exactly. So I think it's a yeah, that's exactly it. It keeps life interesting. I mean, yeah. it's it keeps us learning and it keeps us evolving. And I think as long as we keep changing, we'll, we'll be happy. Because if we don't change, I think we get bored and other things. Well, so Start looking at TikTok. Yeah, so, uh, ah. <laughs> Does your company have a TikTok account? I'm always kidding. No, okay. <laughs> We've been thinking about it. We've been thinking about it. <laughs> So, so what's uh, what's on tap for you the rest of this week while you're in San Francisco? Oh, it's usually going to be several things. You mm-hmm. need to you know, your network, your contacts, right. you talk to bankers, you talk to key companies, you talk to competitors, and then you try to find a lot of opportunities and exciting. Right. And kind of a combination, but of course this is maybe a more of a vendor show that is not really a place where you can meet all the consumers. Right. We've had a lot of customer meetings here. I think it depends on, you know, a lot of variables, but yeah. maybe on the on the show floor, it's a lot of vendors, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think at the moment, I mean, the sense I'm getting after all these discussions is that the market is, is there's a bit of confusion about the market at the moment. I think there is still growth in this industry, clearly. I mean, the forecasts are low-level digits at the moment, but 
center there's a big question of financing and growth. And I think there's certain things you can say in the financial community. There's a lot of money, but they're constantly growing it. So, you know, I think a little bit of that, which I think has resulted in some companies scaling a little bit back on their growth ambitions and spending a little bit less. So, um, so I think still last year, I think we were adjusting as an industry, but this year, I think uh, we're kind of more focused. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair that, that definitely fair. I mean, I, I know the industry has definitely shifted from growth, you know, beyond everything. And now they said, hold on, you have to actually make money. You have to have some profit margin. You can't just grow. <laughs> yeah, even in the U.S., you actually need to be profitable. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, it's a crazy, uh, you, crazy We saw some companies that I think spent more than they actually made for the whole year. I mean, completely to the point where it was like, how do your expenses exceed everything? Wow. You know, there's no profit margin. and. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's. I think the. I think companies have to now evolve and say, look, I have to do a balance of, be con be responsible with my growth. You know. Be responsible. But that's hard, growth. right? Because you need money to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it'll be a balance. Getting that, but I think the good news is that it's a very defensive sector. Yes. Uh, they need us. And uh, I think they, they probably should be spending more on security than what they are at the moment. I, I truly say this as a vendor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, honey, I saw a recent report. I think it was from one of the consulting firms. And when they looked at all the projects that every company does, cybersecurity, the one that was the least likely to get canceled. Yeah. They'll cancel consulting. They'll cancel internal projects. Yeah. But they're not canceling cybersecurity. So that's good for business. <laughs> Curious in Finland, right? I mean, you hear about the cyber talent gap. I mean, are you guys experiencing that as well? And kind of what are what are you doing about it? I mean, how are you getting kind of the younger generation to, sure. to understand you don't have to be an engineer to be in the cyber? Well, first of all, I think there's a shortage of seven million cyber trained people, and of course, you know, there is this attrition and people changing jobs and things like that. But it's healthy overall equation. So, in Finland, we're training. So we have programs in a couple of universities already that have a cyber curriculum. Uh, that is, of course, helping the companies themselves, like us, have their own academies, programs for the same people. Uh, we're pretty big in the UK. That's like the second largest companies in the international. And then there we actually have more access to university training and more access to it's an ongoing thing. It's kind of a big problem. It's a joint effort. It really is. Everyone to the defense, literally. We see that concretely also. I mean, one of the things we are trying to talk about is the point of high school security. So it basically means that nobody can do it alone. And concretely, it often means that our customers
It, it kind of reminds me you of know, the shared responsibility model for cloud. I mean, they kind of say, here's what we'll do, here's what you do. Then you forget, oh, I need people to do that also, and, and I need other technology vendors. It's, it's yeah, you know. And plus, I mean, the large companies, of course, they take I mean, I know a lot of them don't have the talent. What, what do you see them doing? If, so they heard the companies without screaming. <laughs> are, are they, are you, are, is it more like a managed services for them and just yeah. help? So in some case, I'm concretely, I mean, for example, our managed protection response proposition yeah. is based on complementing the security team with our customers and or complementing the work we do through our partner channels so that we can actually provide uh, more advanced services. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge need. Yeah. It really is. So, well, we do want to be mindful of time because we are at RSA and we know you've got a lot going on. So, um, any any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Well, um, I would invite everybody to Finland. Where awesome. We have our biggest event of the year, the Sphere. So, RSA is probably nothing. Sure, okay. What time of the year is it? It's 24th and 25th. It's called Sphere. Oh, love it. Okay. And uh, we actually generally talk about. I'm uh, sorry, May. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we uh, generally talk about interesting things. We don't just push on products and solutions. We yeah. kind of sneak them in. Love but um, primarily, we attack people with having very interesting speakers, like, you know, there might be somebody from. So if you if so if you want to hear you know straight from the front lines, go to Sphere. That's right. right? Go to Sphere. <laughs> All right, we we can include a link in the show notes. Too. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, make it happen. Wonderful. Well, Yohani, thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful. My pleasure. And to all of our listeners, yeah. Petco. Be secure. That's yeah. right. Be secure. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 